You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. So a little while back, um, I told my oldest daughter, Rebecca, um, I love you all the time, no matter what. And she has not yet seen the Star Wars original trilogy movies, but she turned to me and she said, I know. You tell me that all the time. You've probably told me that a thousand times. I already know that you love me and you don't need to tell me anymore. And I said, of course I need to tell you. I need to tell you this over and over again. I'm going to tell you this for your entire life. I am never going to stop telling you that I love you. There are some things that are just too important to hear only one time. There are some things that are core truths to our identity that we need to hear over and over again. And there are some truths that grow stale if they are spoken only once. One, I love you, no matter how genuinely it is stated, is simply not enough to sustain us for a lifetime. It's something that needs to be renewed over and over and over again. This is part of why we are a liturgical church, is because we know that there are truths, core elements of the gospel that we need to say every week, or we are, because we are a forgetful people. And if we don't return to our memory of our salvation, if we don't return to the memory of what God has done for us, we'll forget, even though we know it in our head. And we tell ourselves, I could never forget that. It grows stale if we don't say it again and again, if we don't hear it again and again. And God knows this about us. God, in his wisdom, knows that there are things that we need to hear more than once because they are important truths, things that are core to our identity and what it means to be the people of God. And so there are truths that are repeated in Scripture. Last week, if you were here, we looked at Psalm 92. And looking at Psalm 92, I said that the main idea of Psalm 92 is that the proper response of a life that is lived with an awareness of God's grace is gratitude. That gratitude follows naturally after grace. If we see the grace, if we actually remember the grace, we will respond in thanksgiving. And our psalm for today, Psalm 107, repeats almost the exact same sentiment in a very similar wording as it did in Psalm 92. It opens with the verse, "Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is gracious." And his mercy, that is his hesed, his covenant faithfulness, his loving kindness, endures forever. And it's why we repeat this every week, this sentiment that we remember the grace of God and respond in thanksgiving. Every time we gather around the table, this truth that God has put in his scripture more than once, we repeat because this is core to our identity, core to who we are. We are a people who are gathered by grace and responding with thanksgiving. In fact, it is very close to be able to say that is what it means to be the church is that we are a people who are aware of the grace that God has given us, who know that we are the redeemed, 
which is the word that it uses for the people of God in verse 2 of Psalm 107. Let those whom the Lord has redeemed give thanks, whom he has delivered from the hand of the enemy. And every week we celebrate that we were once under the enemy, that we were slaves to sin and death and the devil, that we were under bondage. And Christ paid for us to free us. That is what it means to be redeemed. It means to be someone who was purchased at a price, who was a slave and that debt that they owed is paid and now they are brought out and they are free. And Jesus paid for us with his blood to draw us into a people who are his own so that we can remember that we are the redeemed and we give thanks every time we get together. So part of what draws us together and makes us into the people of God is that we have this shared history. We know that this part of our story is true for all of us. Just like the people of Israel could look back to the Exodus and remember that moment where they were redeemed, where they were slaves in Egypt and then taken out. We look back to the cross, to the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, and we remember that we too are the redeemed. That is what makes us into this people. This is why we come together to give thanks and worship. It is why our bonds together as the church are greater than our bonds that are outside of the church, because we are tied together by this truth, this facet of our identity. But Psalm 107 doesn't stop there with that shared history that we have. As important as it is, Psalm 107 goes further to look at the fact that each of us also has our own story of how God has saved us. God has worked in our lives in a different way for every person that's here. Every one of us has your own unique story of what God has done for you. And we see this in Psalm 107 with sort of this prototypical stories. Um, the, the verse In verse 3, it says that he's gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. And, and actually, that where it says in our translation and in most English translations, from the north and from the south, in the Hebrew it says, from the north and from the sea. And the, the Hebrew words for south and sea are close enough that a lot of translators assume that there was an error because there's this nice parallelism, right? East and west and north and south. And yet, when you look at the rest of the psalm, it tells four stories of salvation. And those stories seem to correspond to the north, or from the east and to the west, and from the north and from the sea. And so we're going to look at these four stories of salvation that offer themselves up as prototypes of different ways that God has saved his people. The first is this story from the east. Now, east of Palestine, east from the area of where the Israelites were, is wilderness. There's this vast desert between Israel and where you get to the Fertile Crescent in Mesopotamia and where there are fertile lands again. So typically, if there was going to be a journey from one place to the other, you'd go around the desert to avoid that vast wilderness. But here, in this particular story, it imagines people who walked into the wilderness and were lost. So verse 4 says, They went astray in the wilderness, even in the desert, and found no city to dwell in. They were hungry and thirsty, and their soul fainted within them. Their people who are, their physical needs are not met, and they are cut off from the community of God's people. They can't find the city because of their great need, because they're lost here in the wilderness. 
And their response to this great need is verse 6. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. It says, he led them forth by a straight path until they came to a city where they might dwell. God saw their need, and exactly what their need was, he met their need and saved them, bringing them back into the city, out of the wilderness, the place of being cut off from the community of God's people, into the city, back into the community. They are restored and reconnected because their needs are met in God. And so the response that they are given in the psalm is, Oh, that they would therefore praise the Lord for his goodness and declare the wonders that he does for the children of men. They are to respond with thanksgiving, not just for the general story of salvation, not just because they were part of the covenant people, not just for their ancient history, but because God has met their present need. For he satisfies the empty soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. They were hungry and starving, and now they are satisfied and full. They were cut off from community, and now they are restored. The second story that the psalmist tells takes place in the West. The West is the place where the sun sets, and so it becomes this image of darkness because it's the place where the sun descends and, and darkness rises up. And so it says, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound fast in misery and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and lightly regarded the counsel of the Most High. He also brought down their heart with heaviness. They fell down, and there was none to help them. So there's this image of darkness, of slavery, of bondage, of people who are God's people, back in slavery, and it is because of their sin. They rebelled against the words of God. And their sin has led them into bondage again. They find themselves back in darkness. And using the exact same words of the first story, verse 13 says, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distress. For he brought them out of darkness and out of the shadow of death and broke their bonds asunder. Once again, when they cry out to God, when they lift their voice to Him, their salvation that comes is exactly what they need. God isn't, He doesn't lack for creativity. He doesn't lack for knowledge or ways to save. Each need that, that arises, God can meet it exactly where we are, exactly in the place that our heart needs. And the bondage of sin is no barrier to Him. He, it's not like He can't restore His people once they have sinned. So he takes the people who have physical needs and he saves them, meeting their physical needs. The people who have fallen under sin, he shatters those bonds of sin and brings them back and restores them. And again, this refrain comes up of their proper response when they tell the story of their salvation. Oh, that they would therefore praise the Lord for his goodness and declare the wonders that he does for the children of men. For he has broken the gates of brass and shattered the bars of iron asunder. There is no power, 
no bondage that we can be held under that God cannot free us from. And so we call out to him and we look for our salvation and he is a good God, he is a good father who gives us the gifts that we need and meets us with exactly what we need. The north was often a place in the prophets from where judgment would come. There were some, throughout the history of Israel, there were times where there were mighty nations to like Assyria to the north that came down. And, and there's also this sense that there's, um, in this next little um, piece, this snippet that is told of those who need salvation, it talks about the foolish. The foolish were plagued for their offense and because of their wickedness. The soul abhorred all matter of food, and they were even close to death's door. And so the foolish, the judgment that comes upon them is sickness and illness. And this, and this word of sickness and foolishness, they have a common root, and so there's a little bit of a wordplay happening here in the Hebrew poetry, but it's looking upon people who, again, their own folly and sin has led them astray, and they are falling underneath the judgment of God. And again, their response to falling underneath the judgment of God, the response to their need, is so when they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, he delivered them out of their distress. It's not just that God can break the bonds that we're held underneath in sin. It is also that when we cry to him, when we recognize our folly and our foolishness and the ways that we have walked away from him, he lifts the hand of judgment. He sent his word and healed them, and they were saved from destruction. And again, the salvation that comes is exactly what they need. And the response is the same. Oh, that they would therefore praise the Lord for his goodness and declare the wonders that he does for the children of men. That they would offer unto him the sacrifice of thanksgiving and tell of his works with gladness. And you'll notice after each of these, they're, they're called to praise the Lord, but each of them praises the Lord in their own unique way. Each of them responds in a way that is fitting to the salvation that they have been shown. They, they are looking to be restored and to tell the story of how God has saved them because God, out of his grace, saves his people and leads them to respond with gratitude and thanksgiving over and over and over again. The final story in this psalm comes from the sea. And so it's the fourth piece of this from the east and from the west, from the north and from the sea. And you'll recall when we started this series of looking at the psalms, we talked about the sea as a place of chaos, a place of fear, a place where there's a lack of control because the, the wind and the waves can rise up and be something that are greater than we can possibly meet. So the story that we read aloud, those who go down to the sea in ships, who carry out their business in great waters, they behold the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For at his word, the stormy wind arises, which lifts up the waves. They are carried up to heaven and down again to the deep. Their soul melts away because of the trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wits end. These people did not apparently do anything wrong. They're not under judgment of God. They're not under bondage to their sin. They're just caught up in what seems like the chaos of life with the wind and the waves that come, and there's nothing that they can do to stop it. There's nothing that they can do to save themselves. And so when they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, 
he delivers them out of their distress. For he makes the storm to cease, so that the waves are still. Then they are glad because they are at rest, and so he brings them into the haven where they desire to be. There's echoes of this in our other readings from this morning where in Job we see again the wonder of the mighty works of God and realize how small we actually are when we stand and look upon the works of God, how little control we actually have. And then in our gospel reading this morning, we see the disciples in a story just like this one, where the wind and the waves rise up around them, they're frightened and they're terrified, and they cried to the Lord, they cried to Jesus in their distress. And he wakes up from his moment of sleep and says, Peace, be still. And the wind and the waves are still, and they come to know that in Jesus lies their salvation. And they respond with gratitude. And this refrain comes up again in this story in the psalm. Oh, that they would therefore praise the Lord for his goodness and declare the wonders that he does for the children of men. That they would exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the seat of the elders. Four stories, each one different, each one unique, each one looking at a different aspect of our great need and the way that God meets that uniquely with his salvation that he extends to his people, out of his grace, that he listens to our cries in the midst of our distress and he heals us and saves us. And so we respond with gratitude. And the way that this psalm is put together, the way that it's constructed, there are several things that I think are implications of the way that this is told. One is that your story matters. We are called to be looking at our stories, to understand our own stories through this thread of grace, to be looking for the salvation of God and to recognize the ways that God has saved us. And then there's this call at the end, go and tell your story in the congregation. Go praise him in the seat of the elders because the unique way that God has saved you, the unique contours of your story, whether it's salvation from illness, or whether it's lifting you out of depression, or whether it's taking you through a difficult relationship situation, God has saved you and your story matters, and it should lead you to praise and thanksgiving in a unique way that is not just to be for you either. It is to be shared with God's people so that we can tell all of these stories, not just our common salvation history, that's an important story that we tell together, but also your individual story should be lifted up before God. It should lead you to praise and thanksgiving, and it should be told in a way that we can celebrate with you. But it means you need to learn how to tell your story well. You need to understand that God is a God who saves and there are these threads of grace throughout your life. If you are one of God's people, you have stories like this. You have stories of salvation to tell. I don't know what all of them are, but I know that you have them because this is what God does. We are the redeemed and God saves us over and over again in a thousand different ways. But there's another implication of this that is perhaps not so fun to talk about. 
All of these stories take place from the perspective of people who belong to God. And all of them face troubles. Some of them are brought on by their own sin. Some of them are just because of what seems like the chaos of life. Sometimes we find ourselves in great physical need or cut off from community. And we will have stories like this. We will have moments where even though we are the redeemed, even though we point to the the story of our salvation in Jesus Christ, even though we look at the cross, we'll also come across wind and waves. We'll come across hunger and loneliness. We'll find ourselves in the bonds of sin and death once again. And we'll doubt because that's what we do. We'll find ourselves rebuked by Christ like the disciples were. Do you really have such little faith? And this psalm shows us what to do in those moments. It tells us that when we have those moments, we cry out to God in our distress. And he will save us. But there's this additional part of the psalm that makes sure we know that things aren't quite so neat and simple. It talks about how he turns rivers into a wilderness and water springs into thirsty ground. A fruitful land he makes barren because of the wickedness of those who dwell there. And then again he makes the wilderness into pools of water and dry ground into water springs. And there he sets the hungry that they may build a city to dwell in that they may sow their land and plant vineyards to yield the fruits of increase. He blesses them so that they multiply exceedingly and does not allow their cattle to decrease. And then again, when they are diminished and brought low, through oppression, through any plague or trouble, though he pours contempt on princes and lets them wander in the pathless wilderness, yet he helps the poor out of misery and increases their households like a flock of sheep. There's not this neat linear path to our story where we are in trouble and then we're, we're drawn out and then that's the end of it. It goes back and forth, recognizing that life has moments where we will have difficulty and that there are moments where we will see the salvation of God. And there are moments where we're caught in the middle of the story and we haven't yet seen the end. And there's this question, what do the people of God do in those moments. What do we do when we have cried out to the Lord, maybe over and over again, and we have not seen the salvation that we are looking for? How do we walk in faithfulness in that moment? And this psalm, the very last two verses say, the righteous will consider this and rejoice all of these ups and downs, these moments where the judgment of God comes, where he lifts people up out of the the dust and he sends people to wander in the wilderness. And the mouth of all wickedness shall be stopped. Whoever is wise will ponder these things and shall understand the loving kindness, the hesed, the same word that was used for mercy at the beginning of the Lord. What we do in these stories is we trust God even when we can't see the end of the story.
because we have the, the big story, the story of salvation that we have upon the cross, and we have the testimony of all of the stories of God's people gathered together, and we know that God is a God of hesed. God is a God of loving kindness, of mercy, of covenant faithfulness, and we walk and trust Him even when we can't see the end of the story. I think one of the ways I've seen this most incredibly done was in the story of Rob Paris at Church of the Advent. Most of you know that's the church that I went to for, uh, was at a long time before I came here. And Rob died of brain cancer. He's only about 10 years older than me. He had two beautiful daughters, had a wonderful family, and he got brain cancer, and the church prayed for him. We prayed for his healing. We prayed for his deliverance. There were moments that were spoken that God was going to be glorified through whatever happened to Rob, that God was going to be glorified, words that were spoken with a prophetic voice over him. And we hoped that that meant for healing where there didn't seem like healing was possible. But it didn't. He died. But through every moment of that journey, he constantly pointed to the church, the church back to trust in God. He said, my hope, my ultimate hope is not that I will be healed. My hope is in Jesus, my deliverer. He showed what it looks like to trust when we can't see the end of the story. And he trusted that even though he was not delivered in this life, that the end of his story would still be good that still he would ultimately see the salvation of God, that he would be brought up to sit next to, to Jesus, that he would know God's loving kindness, his covenant faithfulness, his hesed, even if he did not see healing. This is what it means to be the faithful people of God. It means to walk in trust, even when we cannot see the end of the story, and even when the story to us makes no sense. We trust him because we have seen his goodness. We have seen his character. We live into the story of our salvation. We tell the stories of the way that God has saved us over and over again. You will face difficulties in your life. You will face moments where you cry out to God. And sometimes you'll come away from that with a story of immediate deliverance. That God has worked down and plucked you out and, and giving you a story of his faithfulness in that moment. And sometimes you will cry out to God and you won't see the end that you wanted. But no matter what happens, God's hesed, his covenant faithfulness endures. And we, as the people of God, are able to walk together in trust because our Father is good. And he showed us ultimately at the cross that even death is not the end of the story. So church, be a people who tells stories of God's salvation. Look for the threads of grace. And when you're having trouble seeing them, trust in God. Because his salvation ultimately is assured because he is a God of Hesed. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. 
If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.